The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can, can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. I can't believe it. Let's open up that raid Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USD has hired Lincoln Riley. Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Rain of Troy Radio. This is the car cast after USC's 42-25 win over the Arizona State Sun Devils at the Coliseum. We're going to talk all about it, uh, and we want to hear your thoughts here live on YouTube as well. As always, you can follow us on social media. My co-host, Alicia Deratola, is at Penguin of Troy. I'm at MichaelCastFS. You can follow the site at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you can find your podcasts. And we are here on YouTube as well, Reign of Troy Radio, live after every game with a car cast. Uh, alas, USC came together and got the win, 42-25 uh, over ASU at the Coliseum. Um if you're joining us in live over on YouTube, we ha- we put up a poll. How are you guys feeling about the game so far? Did you love it? Uh, mad that it still needed some work, or are you frustrated? 69% of the Rotbots coming in so far and saying, meh, still need work. Uh, 17% frustrated, and only 14% say that they loved it. Uh, Alicia, what are your first thoughts about Saturday night's game for USC as they go to 5-0? Um, I thought this was game was very telling. I think that this is sort of the prototypical game that I would expect from USC this season, w- would have expected in the earlier games, and I will expect to see more games like this going forward. This is the sort of DNA of this team. It is the offense, smooth as silk when they're smooth as silk, not always going to be smooth as silk. And the defense is going to have a really rough time giving up a lot of yards in the first half. And if they don't get turnovers, they will give up points. And then suddenly in the second half, they'll just figure it out and start getting pressure on the quarterback and start creating havoc and doing, you know, the things that that causes this defense to suddenly look like they do have a pulse. And that's sort of USC's second half defense. And so you're going to end up with score lines and games that are going to play out very similar to this, which is 42 to 25. So scoring 40 points, checked one of my boxes, feel yeah. good about the offense, giving up 25 points. I mean, I'm not going to say I'm happy about giving up 25 points, but sure. as I've said this whole time, if you could promise me this defense would hold everybody to 25 points, I would be perfectly content. Like, I think that uh, this this defensive performance is the reality of what this defense is. And 
you can choose to focus on the first half if if you want to. I think this is a is a glass half full, glass half empty situation where those who want to focus on the first half and and all of the deficiencies can certainly do that and can be right to do so. And those who want to focus on the second half adjustments and the way they fight and the way they do find a way to create havoc and turnovers and get pressure on the quarterback and you know get five sacks in a game and all of that kind of stuff that that makes sure that a game like this doesn't turn out to be a nervous sort of game mm-hmm. um then they people can focus on that and also be right to focus on that so i think that what you take from this is this team is still very vulnerable i think on offense and defense to tougher challenges that may come as the season come, as the season goes. Yeah. But having watched a full day of college football action, the credit I will give this team right now is that I watched a lot of teams have games like this turn into one possession games, turn into you yeah. have to get a stop or you will give up the lead kind of games. And USC never let it get quite get there. I got a little bit nervous with the onside kick. Um, but even that, they were still it was still a two possession game. So yeah, middle of the road, I, I would say. I think this is this is uh not a rah rah, yes, everything's going well performance, and it's all not also a uh, uh the sky is falling and everything's terrible kind of performance. Yeah, I, I look at this one of two ways. You talk about the defense and how you can focus on the off the the first half or the second half. I think the second half is the bigger story for the reason of it's always how you adjust. If they would have started the first half and ASU would have had like no yardage in the first half. And then suddenly in the second half, they just carved SC up. That's a problem because that shows that something happened in the middle of the game and you didn't know to, how to, uh, ASU made an adjustment and you couldn't counter it. This tells a different story. And in game five of year one, I'm going to take a defense that has a first half that is shaky if it's going to be followed by halftime adjustments, which I think were evident when you see all the pressure that they got in the second half. Emory Jones could do no wrong in the first half. In the second half, he was under duress on every single play, it felt like. They were constantly in the backfield. That forced errant throws. That made him to make decisions. That took away his running lanes. It did all of those things. You saw the the adjustments from from Alex Grinch, and it paid off in the game because ASU wasn't able to do anything in the second half, with the exception of that very weird fluke drive uh, that has the, the third down conversion that should have been intercepted by Damani Jackson that was tipped up and caught, followed by two questionable at best pass interference calls. That drive, if that drive doesn't happen, um, SC wins this game forty two seventeen. If that drive doesn't happen and Caleb Williams doesn't throw an awful pass for his first interception of the year, this is 42-7, I mean 49-17, right? And it's the same game that plays out. So the way I look at it, the score, 42-25, not amazing, certainly. It's not uh, what you could have dreamed of, right, in the sense of you want a team to, you know, put put your foot on their, their neck and, and throttle them throughout and all that stuff. But that's basically what SC did just without the wow factor because you had the interception, you had that weird drive, and I don't put too much stock in any of those things because SC made everything else pay off. Uh, It wasn't the the most efficient game possible. 
Caleb Williams made a lot of questionable decisions, but he paid them off by having insane plays um, that worked. He and, was supermaning in this game. Yes, and that's not always going to work. But man, when it works, it's so beautiful to watch mm-hmm. uh, and and super fun to watch. Um, I the, you you take this win any day of the any day of the week. Yes, there's problem areas on offense. I think they could be a little bit more explosive, especially in the vertical passing game. I still need to see more of that. Uh, SC still struggling to put that together. The the one long ball that we saw was was called back um, for for a holding call that was could have been hold on either multiple of the tackles, holding calls. Yeah, uh, and it was called on Cortland Ford at left tackle. But yeah, it, it it is what it is. I think the defense ramping up in the second half to me is the biggest takeaway that they showed that once again they can get the stops when you need them. Uh, very similar to the Stanford game where they got mauled in the first half and the second half, they really kind of hunkered down a little bit um, and didn't need turnovers to, to do it this time. And I thought that was uh, a takeaway too um, without the takeaway until they got one in garbage time. Yeah. I mean, in that way, I agree. It was very much like the Stanford game. It also had a little bit of a flair of the Oregon state game in the sense of when the, you know, the the one or two moments when it was like, well, ASU can actually take a lead here. Mm-hmm. The They got the stop and it was pretty a routine stop too. Like it, they pretty much just went out there and got it done. Um, so it that's good to see from them. It, it's like I, I am very encouraged by that. I am on the record as saying that this defense is what it is. There is no savior coming down the line. Um unless you talk about guys like Damani Jackson and Corey Foreman, and both of those guys were out there today. Corey Foreman is getting pressure on the quarterback. One of these days, he's going to finish that those pressures and be a really, really impa- high-impact player in the pass rush. Um, not quite there yet, but you can sort of see signs that when he's, get, when he's allowed to get on the field, you can see why he's such a, a highly sort of uh, touted prospect. But this is what the defense is, and mm-hmm. they're going to have to work with what they have, and they are working with what they have. And so I think that that, uh, that is something that I'm, I'm just sort of willing to, to ride with. I think the big concern yeah. coming out of this game for me is not the defense at all. Like, again, the defense is going to be what they're going to be, and I can live with this 17 to 25-point defense. I, in fact, I'm perfectly happy with it. Um, the offensive line is a worry uh we talk about it's not a worry being, that, that for me came out of nowhere kind of yeah well because it felt like the offensive line was so steady mm-hmm. now did it come out of nowhere because the last two weeks the offensive line has been real bad and the last two weeks it's they've the been three. dealing it's three the last three weeks that's fair but they've been dealing with the injury sort of bug a little bit more they've had to shuffle a little bit more um gino canones comes in and starts for justin didich as far as we know it's because of a because of an injury he'd been dealing with it last week it was it was bothering him last week too so we knew that this offensive line didn't have good depth and now they've been hit with some injuries bobby haskins and Cortland ford are both playing but playing through injury to to a point um didich wasn't in there that's a that's a a reality and i think we're seeing it's impact on this offense because how can you be explosive if Kalen if Caleb Williams is having to bail out of the pocket immediately because guys are getting through um how can you set up long plays if Caleb Williams doesn't have time to do that and every time he has those opportunities it's on the run 
throwing across his body, making those incredible plays, um, trying to avoid avoid pressure. So the offensive line to me is is very much the sort of core problem core problem going on here. Uh, we saw Caleb Williams in this game. The accuracy issues were gone. He looked <laughs> right back to normal. Last week was an aberration, just as I, I thought it would. I thought it was. He was he was absolutely slinging it, accurate compose slinging it that's one way to put it yeah well maybe a little bit too much because like that jump pass <laughs> that ridiculous jump I, pass that he completes to jordan daniel jordan addison is probably a pick six nine times out of ten and first of all it's a safety uh anybody else that's a safety yeah secondly it's potentially a, a, a if anyone gets sacked at that point who knows maybe you fumbled the ball too but um should have been a pick if anything uh an errant throw that it's right on the money and <laughs> moves moves the ball downfield is insane. Yeah. Insanity. I, I mean, but and that's I think we saw what makes Caleb Williams special in this game. Absolutely. And I think we also saw, you know, a little bit of of every athlete who is special who has that sort of flair. You're gonna get the good and the bad with them sometimes. Like sometimes the flair is gonna be too much and they're gonna trust, you know, throwing up a fade double coverage, not noticing a safety in the end zone and just sort of giving away a possession, giving away a red zone possession. Uh, so, you know, th- that's something that you're going to get. But Caleb Williams is the player he is because he can make those kinds of crazy plays because he can be Superman. So I think you ride with it and you enjoy it and you see how it goes um, because more often than not, he's in the right. The problem right now is just that USC is asking him to do that too much. USC is playing with fire, having him run as often as he's had to run. These aren't designed runs. He's escaping pressure. And ASU is not the team that you highlight as the most dangerous pass rushing team, habit creating team that USC has left on this schedule. Um, Washington State is going gonna, is gonna to be an interesting team to face given, yeah. given these struggles on the offensive line. And I can tell you now, I mean, you and I have said from the beginning that USC would lose to Utah in in Salt Lake City. An offensive line that is playing the way that this current unit is playing, mm-hmm. Caleb Williams will be lucky to make it through that entire game healthy. That's That's my big red flag fear right now because Utah doesn't let the quarterback get away the way that ASU let the quarterback get away today. And that is going to be something that USC really has to hunker down and sort out if they want to come out with a win in a couple of weeks. But also, this game is is another reminder that like this is a good team, but it's not a great team. And there there are limitations that are going to cause them to get into trouble sometimes. And they have incredible talent to get out of that trouble, but they're going to still get into that trouble as evidenced by everything that happened tonight. So, you know, you, you just gotta, you gotta roll with the punches to a certain point and you have to see what is the continuing character of this team? Because one of the things that I've really enjoyed of about these five wins so far is that they have showed really incredible character, really positive character Yeah, that you have seen the defense respond, even though they've given up so much, you have seen the offense respond you haven't seen it all go to hell at the same time. Right? No. Like, and when, and when, on a day when I can tell you around college football, it went to hell all at the same time for a <laughs> lot of teams. And a lot of them didn't get out of Dodge. So like. Yeah. Well, you, you talk about Utah. I just pulled up the game book. Utah 
if, if you've been living under a rock, big winners today over Oregon State, 42-16. Chance Nolan, Oregon State's quarterback, gets hurt in that game. You said After that, throwing two interceptions. Well, you, you said that Utah is not going to let um, SC off the hook and, and you know, the they're going to get after the, the um, Caleb Williams and the sacks and all that stuff. I just want to throw these numbers out there because it's mind-boggling to me. Uh, Oregon State, I, I didn't watch the game for what it's worth, so these are just the stats in the set book. Uh, 171 rushing yards, they outrushed Utah. 246 passing yards, they outpassed Utah. And they gave up zero sacks. And they, they gave up zero sacks? Zero sacks, and they lost 42-16. to 16. Why? Because they committed turnovers. Yes. USC doesn't commit them. turnovers. Yeah, four turnovers, one of them was they commit one. They committed one in this well, game against ASU, and we'll talk about that at some point here, thing, talking though. about Caleb Williams some more. USC flirts with giving him turnovers. Well, Caleb Williams, like, it's... I, okay, let's talk about Caleb Williams' performance tonight, because... Who's freaking superman it, but like i go back and forth between terrifying. like was this like an all-american performance or was this one of those like if it was if anything else happens like he easily could have turned it over four times performance and se loses this game I, I think that like that is wasn't in, it's not insane to think that that could have happened yeah the, given the, the throws that he was making across his body just taking crazy risks and almost like all of them panned out uh, except for the, the interception he threw in the end zone, which was a terrible read, a yeah, terrible decision um, that didn't work. Everything else he did worked out beautifully um, throwing across his body for the touchdown to, um, to Mario Williams. Beautiful. You never, ever do that. Yeah. And he does it, and somehow everyone's just standing in the end zone. I don't think they expected the ball to go that, to go that way. Uh, and Mario Williams has like a big buffer around him, like a it's like a bubble uh, that, that allows him to catch the ball for the touchdown. We talked about the game at the the play at the goal line where he does that like jump pass, uh, like he was like a Madden glitch that someone tweeted out on on Twitter. Like yeah, like that easily could have been an interception or something. Um, and the interception is the one that's that's in the third quarter. He, he needs to be a little protect the ball a little bit more. But at the same time, if these are the things that are going to make him at the top of his game, then you got to let the guy ride. Yeah, uh, we saw it with Sam Darnold's, um, and we talked about it at the time that when when Sam Darnold is on and he's not committing turnovers, he's the best USC quarterback you've ever seen in your life. Uh, and when he's committing turnovers, it can be a problem. Caleb Williams does the same thing that, that Sam Darnold does, but I think he does it significantly better because he doesn't turn the ball over and he's quicker on his feet, more nimble. He can get out of more sacks, able to do stuff on the ground. And that's why you see that he had 44 yards on the ground tonight, despite getting sacked at one point. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's who he is and that's the quarterback that he is. And, you know, he has a little bit of Patrick, Patrick Mahomes in him and in, in that he defies the laws of quarterbacking. There's a lot of things that Patrick Mahomes does that you look at and say, like, don't do that. No, don't do that. Yeah. Um, and it's dangerous. And it's dangerous. Right. But when you're a, an, an athlete of like Patrick Mahomes or Caleb Williams sort of status, then they can get away with it. And right. they're not always going to get away with it. But uh, but more often not, than not, he's going to get away with it and you're going to reap the benefits from it. So you have to accept the the downsides of it to a certain point. But. 
this is where I want my head coach, like Lincoln Riley, to be prepared to reel him in if he goes too far, uh, if it does start to be a detriment. And that was one of the things that I, I wanted to see a better adjustment against Oregon State was it wasn't him taking crazy risks. It was just he was incredibly inaccurate in that game. Yeah. And I would have liked to see Lincoln Riley protect Caleb Williams from himself to a certain point. And that's something that we're going to have to see this season. We obviously didn't have to see it in this game. But, you know, if Caleb is out there, you know, being too YOLO about everything and starting to hurt the team instead of help the team on a sort of the measure of the of the judgment there, um, then be able to reel him back in and say, no, OK, we're going to go a little more vanilla now. We're going to we're going to calm it down because I know you're incredibly talented, but like we need to get back to basics. And I think that's um that's something that'll have to come when it when it comes. Yeah. I think this is also one of the conversations that we were seeing a lot on Twitter tonight is um could USC just run the ball a little bit more? Could USC just say, you know what, this uh we're putting Caleb Williams in a situation where he has to go out there and be Superman and mm-hmm. that's not necessarily something that has to happen in this context. Yeah. Yes. Caleb Williams might just have to go be Superman against Utah. I, I I would I would bet right now that USC needs a Heisman level performance, like a Heisman winning level performance from Caleb Williams to even have a chance of beating Utah under these circumstances. But in this game, I don't think you needed that from him against ASU. They're they're not that uh formidable in, in the long run. So maybe the answer would have been let's give our offense line a little bit more confidence by just running the ball a little bit more. Um, Travis Dye gets 13 carries. There's 30 carries total, and eight of them are are Caleb Williams. So clearly the run game was not the uh, the focus in this game. I would have to go back and look, but I know you and I both saw a couple moments where it was like... Well, on the interception. Five, five I, men in the box, just run it. I, yeah, you called it an I interception. I said it in the pre-snap. I'm like, look at how light the box is run the ball here and he chooses to um to go with the pass and it ultimately is him thrown in double triple covers so yeah and, the, and those that's one of the areas where a long pass no, no less a, a fade where if the focus was just a little bit more on just saying hey let's just run the ball yeah you probably score there and you take some pressure off your defense and and to the credit of the defense after that interception the defense absolutely shut down they like they did not let asu even get a sniff so yeah, that was a really. Well, the defense good, was great in the second half, bar none. Yeah, that was a, a really good moment for the defense, but it was also, you know, maybe a, lear- a learning moment for the offense to, for the play caller and and for everybody involved to just say, you know what, just do the simple thing and and run and, you know, let Travis die be Travis die. I, I I yeah. Well, we got we got a question in the chat from SJ says, "Is Caleb the ultimate yellow quarterback?" I would before the game. I would have said no because he's no Matt Fink. Uh, <laughs> well, that's, that's fair. Uh, before the game, I, w- I would have I would have said no because one of the things that I was really impressed with Caleb Williams about was his ability to be conservative when you need him to. Uh, a guy who's going to slide when when you need him to slide. Um, we we saw in the Fresno State game there was a bad snap and he immediately just dove on the ball. Uh, didn't try to pick it up and, and run for it and uh, pull a pull a Darnold or anything like that. Um, and so I would have said no. In this game, it was like a completely different Caleb Williams where it's like, I'm not going to go out of bounds. I'm going to spin and try to gain two more. 
I'm not going to slide. I'm going to juke and try to go for four more. It's almost like he was like. I'm not going to just jump on this ball. I'm going to get it and spin and try to make something out of it. And he did. More power to him. Like he did. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like he's like showing off for the Coliseum crowd. Like, yeah. there, maybe, there, maybe there. I mean, and this might be, this might be well, a thing. I, I don't think he that's, might, that's what it is exactly. But it's, no, but like he might feed off of the crowd, like the sure. the home crowd, hearing that, like, oh, and then being like, woo, well, you know. I think that's entirely possible. I, that, I, I was thinking this the other night that you know, SC hasn't turned the ball over. Is there a chance that this is a bad thing in the sense of? Not to make a soccer reference, but uh, back in the aughts, um, Chelsea had a long uh, win, uh, unbeaten streak at home, right? At Stanford Bridge. All these people thought that, is this a detriment? Like, because they would end up playing conservatively not to lose in games um, just to keep that streak alive? And is that preventing them from going out and attacking and, and all these things? I'm not going to argue that point right now, but like, I think that you could. There could be a world in which you're you're so concerned about not turning the ball over that you're not taking chances. And when you saw last week how errant of throws Caleb Williams was making, how timid he looked at sometimes, I think you could have made the argument that maybe that could come into play. But you watch the game tonight, and certainly that is not the case. Uh, SC's lack of turnovers is not because of a lack of taking a lack of chances <laughs> not for a uh, lack of trying. Certainly not for a lack of trying in this game. So yeah. um, everyone in the chat right now, there's a bunch of you. Um, we appreciate it as always. Be sure to like the video and, and subscribe and join us here on Minotaur Radio. Um, but I also want you all to get involved and right now throw up a grade. How would you grade um, Caleb Williams' performance on on uh, on Saturday night? Uh, a was he an was he an A plus quarterback for you? Was he a B a C? What would uh, what would you do? And uh, Elisa, what would be your grade for Caleb Williams? I'd give him an A minus. Uh, I would okay. the minus just because that one really dumb decision to throw that pass in the end zone um, might be worse if ASU had gone down and scored after that because it would have been more meaningful. But I think that Caleb was a difference maker in this game. He really nullified a lot of what ASU's defense had the potential to do in this game. A quarterback not named Caleb Williams probably gets sacked, you know, half a dozen times, probably loses his cool, probably uh, gets, uh, you know, gets flustered and, and, things go really poorly for USC's offense and they don't put up 42 points. Like, I think that what we saw tonight from Caleb Williams was, was sort of what makes him special. Mm-hmm. So I think it was an, a uh, 20 Batman in, in, uh, in the chat says no, Caleb, no win. That, that might be fair. That might be fair. I'm, I'm always hesitant to um, sort of put a win on, on any one player because you just don't know how the game would have gone. But, like Miller Moss struggles in this game significantly more than Caleb Williams does just by the very nature of Caleb being able to to get away from that pressure and to not just avoid sacks but to get first downs on sacks to on on what would have been sacks to get third down conversions on what would have been sacks so was it a perfect performance by Caleb Williams no i think he has a a higher ceiling even than what we saw tonight but like yeah. what we saw tonight is the thing that sets him apart and uh, and that to me is uh, an a an a minus performance, just to to highlight the uh, the interception. 
yeah, a, a bunch of similar comments in the in the in the chat right now. A A A plus B A A minus A A minus A minus A minus A minus A B A minus B minus A minus A minus. Yeah, it pretty much a consensus. Yeah, A minus performance for Caleb Williams. I think that's fine. I think you take that any day of the week. Um, what what you just want to see is continued improvement, and uh, this was a huge improvement based off of. His performance last week was was oh, not huge. great, not up to snuff. And not only was he better in terms of the production when you look at him completing 27 of 37, 348 yards and three touchdowns, but he was just he was more confident with the ball, surely. Uh, and he was more accurate. He was insanely accurate to the point where like it allowed him to make those those crazy decisions too. So um absolutely I think that you know he carried USC's offense. Um and Probably could have made better decisions along the way, but it worked out for SC. Um, in the run game, kind of an interesting way to to look at. It. They were so pass heavy. Yeah. Um, and I I'm very curious your thoughts on the run game in general. Travis Dye led the rushers, 13 carries, 62 yards, couple of touchdowns. Um, Austin Jones only two carries for six yards. This looks at this point. Like uh, he is not going to be splitting carries with Die anymore. You know why that is? That's what's what, what are you going to tell me? No blocky, no rocky. This is true. His pass blocking hasn't been good enough. It's just just straight up has not been good enough. Yeah. And I wonder if that's also why we saw a lot of Relique Brown early, and then we just sort of didn't see a lot of Relique Brown anymore. And I I didn't notice Relique Brown specifically in the in the pass blocking situation, but Austin Jones just has had it too many moments where he's just not not on top of things um, in that, in that regard. But, you know, die is, die is all reliable die. Like you just know what you're going to get with him. You know, he's going to sniff out every yard that he can get. And like I said earlier, like I would have preferred to see more from him. Mm-hmm. I would have preferred the ball in his hands more often. I would have preferred to see how the offensive line would have responded. If, if USC had just said, Nope, this is going to be our running drive. We're just going to, run it down their throat and, and be physical and, and see how they respond. Um, that's one of the things that I, I really liked about Caleb's performance. It, we talked about last week is, is, and there's still a question to be answered when USC goes back on the road, but it was a question of, is Caleb throwing this inaccurately because he's under pressure and he's losing his cool? Mm-hmm. Well, he's now proven that under pressure, he can keep his cool and be very accurate. The flip side of that question is, is he losing his cool on the road, which we can't know from this because it was at home. But like from the offensive line perspective, I, I, w- I would have liked to have seen an answer from them too in the sense of we know they're having trouble with the pass blocking, but if you gave them that little juice, like that Neilan nudge sort of situation where they can go out there and, and, and impose their will on a game, how would they respond? And it's entirely possible that USC could have run the ball on a, on a drive and completely stalled out and not had it work. But mm-hmm. I just would have rather seen what happened there if you had given them that chance. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think that um, Dai wasn't dashing the the uh, ASU defense like he was uh, against Fresno State or like he was last week. Only averaged 4.8 yards per carry, but I think that if you commit to the run, I think it might open up more stuff in the past potentially. Um, and just allow things to to get easier. Maybe make the the pass rush less um, 
of a factor. R- relentless and, and impactful, like you say. Mm-hmm. Um, in the receiving game, uh, Jordan Addison, great night from him. Eight catches, 105 yards. Mario Williams looked good. Five catches, 50 yards. Uh, Brennan Rice, three catches, 72. He looked nice. Uh, Karen Ware Hudson with his first touchdown of his career, three catches, 46 yards. Uh, what do you think of the receivers? I was so, so happy for Kyron Hudson. We've seen little flashes from him here and there. We've seen sort of the number 10 on the field and knowing that he's getting a shot. But it, this was really the game where it felt like he was coming into his own. Mm-hmm. Only three catches, 46 yards. But like those three catches were big catches. Uh, Caleb seemed to trust going to him. He seemed very reliable. Uh, in terms of, of making himself a target and then catching the ball when it came, when it came his way. Um, that's exciting for me to see because USC does need to plan for the future a little bit here, not just the second half of the season where they will have to depend on a, on the, the wide receivers uh, sort of at, at a deeper rotation because trust has been earned. But also next year, Jordan Addison's going to be gone. Um, you know, some of these guys are going to, are going to um, graduate, you know, Garrett Bryant Jr. is always already redshirting, potentially transferring. Like there will be sort of a shift in the receiver core. So it's nice to see one of the younger guys step into a more featured role uh and and sort of get his get get his uh his production. But this this sort of receiving chart is 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 pretty telling because it, it they spread the ball around quite a bit. I mean, yeah, yeah Jordan Addison gets eight, eight catches for 105 yards. Absolutely, they did a much better targets, job yeah. of in, of including him in the game. But like the balance between Mario Williams getting five, Brendan Rice getting three, Hudson getting three, um, Taj Washington getting two, and a couple of those were third down catches that were just he makes himself available in the middle of the field. Um, Kyle Ford we saw a little bit more of, I think, uh, from what I can remember. So... And Malcolm Epps getting a touchdown, the, the tight ends being involved there with Lake McCree uh, out for this game, presumably injured, but I haven't really heard anything uh, in specific on that. So I I did like the distribution in this game. I think you can work with the distribution in this game and know that you can sort of move the ball around and and have reliable pass catchers from coming from a bunch of different places. So uh, only one drop, right? Only one drop, and yeah, it was yeah. Addison credited with the drop. Uh, and I did see guys getting open. Like there was one play where Mario Williams was open, and and Caleb missed him. And there was one play with the um, where Addison has a great catch along the sideline that Mario Williams is open in the yeah. end zone, uh, and he finds Addison along the sideline for um, that. That was the play right before the touchdown. It was right before the, t- the no, sorry, right before the interception. The interception, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now right. that I think about it. What what a crazy development! Yeah, <laughs> if he finds Mario Williams on the post, um, maybe that takes away the interception. Who knows? I mean, if if he scores, um, I, I think for me, my my biggest issue with the passing game is just the the lack of the ability to see the vertical game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've talked about it for a while now that SC is just not completing passes downfield. Uh, you, you look at it, SC had 18 gains of 15 plus yards in the passing game. Almost all of that were catch and runs 27, uh, sorry, 27 yards to, uh, Mario Williams caught at the ASU 45 advanced to the 22. So that's all yak yards. Uh, there's another one caught at the 31 yards to Brendan Rice caught at the USC 29 advanced to the USC 50 yak yards, right? Like you see 
those up and down the, the big chunk play lists. And yak yards are great. Find your guys in space and allow them to run with the football. And I'm not, there's no issue with those at all. I would just like to be able to see the long ball come through at some point. Um, and we just haven't seen that for three weeks now. You have to be able to set that up, though. and For sure. And you need an offensive line that's going to protect your quarterback long enough. Uh, to 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 not have him, you know, scrambling away and then having to complete those passes. Like he is Superman, but he's also not, you know, God. So, um, yeah, I I think that I was encouraged though because sort of the the mid range passing game was more effective in this game than it was against Oregon State. Yeah, guys were getting open over the middle, um, more effectively. Certainly, Caleb was finding them more effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that 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 all is sort of a, a step for improvement. But I think you have to like you have to earn those those uh, the the vertical passing game, and I don't see USC earning it at, on multiple levels. So yeah, well, d- just like they they need to do their due diligence a little bit more at the run game too to yeah. to open up some different areas, and maybe that ultimately leads to. Yeah. Uh, the vertical passing game as well. Alicia, you know the only good thing about football season being over? There's literally nothing good about the football season being over. It's just an endless wait until the fall. See, that's where you're wrong. It's tournament season. The best way to take your mind off the endless wait. That is true. I may not want to watch the men play, but the USC women are pretty awesome. Exactly, but it's not just SC. There's high-stake basketball moments all over the country. But you know what? They get even better with prize picks. So you're saying the only thing better than watching Juju Watkins is taking the more on Juju Watkins. Bingo. You can now turn your hoops knowledge and love of Juju Watkins into serious cash. Because you can now win up to 100 times your money on prize picks with as little as four correct picks. Turn 10 bucks into a thousand bucks with college basketball, NBA, and NHL entries. Best of all, Prize Picks lets you get on the action on more than 30 states across the country, including Texas, Georgia, and California. That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, download the app today and use the code Rain of Troy for a first deposit match up to $100. That's the Prize Picks app with the code Rain of Troy for the first deposit match of up to $100. Pick more. Pick less. It's that easy. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Uh, Let's flip things over and talk about the defense. Um, What a tale of two halves it was. I'm pulling up the, the, uh, the splits here. So first half, ASU had 218 
218 total yards. Uh, they averaged 8.1 yards per play. 8.1. In the third quarter only, they averaged 1.3. Things just completely changed. Uh, SC had uh, one sack in the, in the uh, third quarter, four sacks in the fourth quarter. They were really ramping up the uh, the pressure. That was the difference. Um, early on in the first half of the game, I think Shane Lee really struggled at linebacker. Second half, um, you saw some personnel changes. Uh, you really saw more of an impact from guys like Corey Foreman off the edge. Uh, Eric Gentry had his moments uh, throughout the game, particularly in the second half as well. Um, what, what say you about this defense a little bit more than uh, your first initial thoughts? Um, I think that clearly an adjustment was made at halftime, but I also think that the tackling got a little bit better at halftime too. The tackling in the first half was really bad and it didn't, it wasn't like great in the second half either, but the tackling was just very not good. Um, ASU was getting a lot of extra yards cause guys were taking terrible angles. Guys were sort of trying to tackle feet and, and, and um, arm tackle and, and all of that. It just, it, it didn't, it wasn't effective, obviously. Um, but I liked what I saw from quite a few players. Eric Gentry is just, he's just like, he's just so much fun. I, I really enjoy watching him play. Um, I did want to highlight uh, Tyrone Teleni, the transfer. He got a sack tonight. Yeah. Got a sack. He, he actually had, uh, he was in on two sacks. So it was 1.5 sacks. Uh, I had not noticed number 31 in the first four games. And tonight I was like, wait, who's 31? Had to look it up to double check. (laughs) And then I just like, I saw him all over the place. Like I I just thought that he is sort of taking that, um, that Solomon bird kind of progression where it's like more and more and more you see, you notice him, you see him, you appreciate him. and, And it's good to see guys like that continue to progress. And when, and people ask the question of like, will this defense get better? I don't know how much better this defense can get, but I do think that the introduction and the establishment and the the trust gained from guys like like uh, Teleni, from like Bird, and and even Corey Foreman will ultimately impact this defense for the better potentially. Um, I thought the corners were good, except for the pass interferences that I thought were bum raps for a co- like. I get why they're called, but like they're called in the Pac-12 and so you have to the, live with them but like they're not called most other conferences so the it's first one I thought should have been a hold if anything yeah it, there's there's one I thought the camera angles tonight were terrible um this is one of the reasons why I'm frustrated with not being at games yeah uh is that you're subject to the camera angles I thought the camera angles were too tight on all of the passes um it's like it would scan with the passes and you you would scan and you like you have no idea if the guy's open or not we're just gonna scan this could be picked off there's or a, caught like there's you have a no fun, idea there's a fun element of mystery yeah as they're panning over and you're like is there a receiver open no there's a defender there Ooh, no he's not gonna pick it off but like ooh, like yeah it, it's it's every every pass play is like a a a what are we going to find at the end of this camera pan? Yeah, but but even some of the replays were like that. And so on that first one, the, the first uh, pass interference play, um, I was looking at the one on, on Jacoby Covington, Covington. And that's right. I, I, didn't I thought that, that one could have been a hold because it looked it looked like he was holding up the receiver while the guy was running his route for the pass was taken off. 
but you, we never get an actual legitimate replay at a distance where you can see anything form. Yeah. So at that angle, all we saw was what was a really ticky tack PI call that shouldn't have been called, especially if you're going to let Makai Blackman get away with what he had the drive, you know, before, well, that's- which was... You know, no arm, no foul. If you're you're not going to call that, then don't call the the other ones. That's and that's my thing is is I just want the refs to be consistent. Right. And once they let the Makai Blackman go, uh, one go, then the ASU then, ones then shouldn't the, have been called. The AS1, and, it, yeah, the yeah, ASU ones should have been, been called, called, and then yeah. the other two on the next drive for USC shouldn't have been called. And just if you're going to let the guys play, let the guys play. Like, but you need to establish very early on in the game that you aren't going to let the guys play instead of like. Do, 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 we're going to go three quarters with letting the guys play. And then suddenly it's like, no, you cannot make any sort of content or, or contact or try to deflect the ball coming your way. Like, yeah, it, it's just, that's frustrating. Um, what, but what can you do? It's, it's Pac-12 refs. It, we've lived through this nightmare before and worse, worse it, calls. It's another made. reminder to people who complain about the, the penalties. Oh, SC's taking too many penalties. Uh, yeah. Oh, the, Blah, blah, blah. Oh, oh, my God. They're 113th in penalty yardage. Who gives a crap? Everyone. If, if the, like, we all talk about the Pac-12 refs being bad in that they call everything. And the things that are called in the Pac-12 are not penalties in the Big 12. They're not penalties in the ACC. They're not penalties in the SEC. So let's stop talking about the total number of penalties because it's not equal. Uh, so mo- most teams in the Pac-12 are in the bottom 50 of, yeah. of I care about penalties in what they do to the game. How do they yeah. affect the game? They affected the game in this drive by, or in this game by giving ASU a drive that was pretty much gifted um, in terms of the yardage that they got. But it was on SC to, to hunker down at the end. They didn't hunker down at the end in the red zone. They gave up uh, a, a touchdown there. You, you want that back? They got the interception at the end. Uh, on the the garbage time drive, at the end of the day, maybe that that is even Steven and and whatever. But um, what 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 have you? The, the the defense, I think, for the most part here, um, if you get more effort like the second half, I think you're going to feel very good about this defense in every game going forward. The, if the you get problem- more effort like you got in the second half. I mean, sorry, in the first half, then that's going to be a problem. But I'd rather have that order than the yeah. inverse, like I said earlier. Yeah, I mean, I think the the worry here is that you could end up giving up a lot more than 17 points in the first half if, yes. if you play the way that USC's but. defense has played. And I think that uh, the fact that so much of it comes down to, at least from my perce- perception, poor tackling, you you should be able to have that locked down from, from the get-go. Um, just c- keeping your contain. Like I think part of the thing that changes at halftime is just Alex Grinch gets to go in front of those guys and just say, keep your damn contain. Like just do your, do your, in the words of Tommy Reese, like do your effing job and just like, don't, don't try to be out here being, you know, superheroes, leave that to Caleb Williams. Like just yeah. do, do the job that's in front of you. And like, for whatever reason, they respond to that at halftime. And that might be, I don't know, maybe there's another reason why the things change so much at halftime. But like, it just feels like it's not like USC suddenly got bigger, stronger, faster. It's just that guys aren't. There was significantly more pressure, though. And and whether or not that was just a bunch of physical beats that came through in the second half or more blitzes, didn't feel like it was more blitzes. There were blitzes that got to the quarterback, Emory Jones, in in the second half. Uh, you saw with one of the sacks, what was it? Uh, uh, 
the two the two linebackers both got in. Yeah, with yeah. The, that was the one that Teleni got. Um, yeah, I, I think that, that that certainly helps the 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 pass rush in that sense. But it goes beyond that because uh, they weren't able to allow anything in the running game either. And whereas the first half, Emory Jones was looking like L. Roberson all of a yeah. sudden. <laughs> Um, and then every time an ASU running back had the ball, they were falling forward for three, four yards. And there was a timidity, timidity too in the uh, in the first half that I think was um, that was the, the the prime example of that was the touchdown that Emory Jones scores rushing, mm-hmm. and Jalen Smith just sort of stands there and and like waits for him to come to the line. Like it's like he's waiting for him to meet him at the goal line when Jalen Smith should just be running full full board or just take out emory jones like right emory jones is not uh caleb williams emory jones is not you know lamar jackson or something like that where if you come in too hot he's gonna juke you and make you look look like an idiot like that's not emory jones so you need to just come in hot and see if you can number one stop him short number two dislodge the ball you know, do whatever you can. And I think that there was a, pa- a, a timidity to Jalen Smith in that, in that Tim- play. Timidity. Timidity. That's how I, timidity. Uh, I don't know how to say it. T- timid- timid- timidity. 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 Yeah. I've never heard you say that word in my life. Well, it's coming to mind today and it's just a thing. So thank God the soundboard's not here because it would already be on it. Um, it's, it, Certainly will be, yeah. and you can go here and over at the Woods Bruins. I'm sure Jake will, yeah, will clip it at this point. Oh, but like, but that was part of the like poor tackling that that I think we saw in the first half too. Is guys were just not bringing that kind of aggression and and that, or maybe they were being over aggressive. Whatever it was, they just they they weren't on top of things. They weren't getting to the to the man. They were sort of um, not trying to to hit and tackle the man down it was sort of like you know two-hand touch a little bit mm-hmm. yeah was, uh malcolm in the chat says scared of contact yeah it just sort of felt like a few times like dudes were scared of contact or or not willing to just be physical and that's one of the weird things too is that like i am watching more college football throughout the day because i'm covering college football throughout the, throughout the day and you sort of see which teams are out there like relishing contact and I do feel for it because you are playing in front of Pac-12 refs and they might eject you. They might throw a flag. They might do anything for a touching quarterback. Like you do have to walk a line as a defender. Like I get it. It's tough. But at your core, you need to be out there with physicality being your number one uh, thing. And I just didn't, it felt like USC was lacking that physicality in in the first half. And they clearly corrected that in the second half for me. Dardar twenty three oh seven says timidness. Timidness, yes, but I like timidity better. <laughs> timidity. Timidity. Okay. Um. Anyways, uh, be sure to pop in with uh, questions in here. We'll go through, uh, open up questions in just a second. Before we do so, I want to run through uh, the other Pac twelve scores, uh, really quick. Uh, Oregon putting a hurting on Stanford forty five twenty seven. Uh, that game not as close as the score indicates. Oregon was up huge, and Stanford scored a little bit in garbage time. Uh, Utah, as we talked about earlier, big winners over Oregon State, 42-16. Wazoo, USC's 
opponent next week with a big win at home, 28-9 over Cal. Kept Cal out of the end zone. Um, unless, was that last one? Six points by Cal in the fourth quarter? Was that two field goals? Or was it a touchdown? I, I did not watch that game. So now I have to I click know. on this and figure whatever it was. Uh, nine points by Cal. If you told me that um, Cal didn't get in the end zone, I, I wouldn't think you were lying. So fair enough. That's just um, Arizona forty-three twenty over the corpse that is Colorado, um, and then Friday night, um, big exciting uh, game over at the Rose Bowl. You still like getting a win, forty to thirty-two to stay undefeated. Um, it really does feel like there's it's a wide open race in the Pac-12, and there's like five teams who could legitimately take it. ESPN had a graphic of those five teams, and I think it it feels right. Um, it's SC, it's Oregon, it's Utah, it's Washington, it's UCLA, but I think you can include Wazoo on there. Mm-hmm. Um, you met you have mentioned multiple times tonight earlier on the car, the Carcast that if SC does this, they'll lose to Utah. If SC does this, they'll lose to Utah. Why are we not taking Washington State more seriously? If it wasn't for like a bad 10 minutes against Oregon, they're undefeated right now. And they're probably ranked 13 instead of the Ducks. Oh, I I don't intend to take Washington State not seriously. I just think that Utah, we know a little bit more about what this Utah team is in terms of the physicality they'll bring, how they'll play at Rice-Eccles, all that kind of stuff. So I don't think it's like overlooking Washington State. It's just I know more about Utah to be able to say for sure that that's going to be an issue. But I do want to say that like people are talking about Utah being scared of Utah. If you watch that game on Friday night, don't think you shouldn't be scared about UCLA as well. Because if DTR is on, (laughs) I told I told my my uh, Liverpool buddy who's a UCLA fan. Like when DTR is on his stuff, like he is a scary quarterback. DTR was feeling it against Washington. DTR was strutting around, just had a little bit of that Caleb Williams, like Superman vibe to him in that game. You could tell he was feeling it. If he's feeling it against this USC defense, that'll be an interesting game. Yeah. Kyle in the chat says, really looking forward to Utah UCLA next week, which should provide a great barometer for both teams. Absolutely. Yes. That feels to me like a game day game. I get why they're going to to Lawrence, Kansas. Yeah, for the for TCU, and that'll be fun. Uh, TCU, of course. Uh, F's in the chat for for Oklahoma. Um, yeah. and 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 the Brett Venables defense giving up uh, fifty five points for the first time since um, little 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 Methodist school called uh, University of Southern California put uh, fifty five on on. Oklahoma back in uh, 2005. You ever heard of that one? Yeah. Yeah. That, that that was fun. Certainly. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's talk about the mail. Let's open up the, the mailbag. We've got a bunch of questions in here from you guys joining us here on YouTube. And as always, uh, add more questions in here. You can put the word question over at the beginning. That helps us find them and, and tag them for us to be able to go back to them. Uh, Ron Campbell says, Pac-12 officials year in and year out of terrible. Why can't they ever improve? You want my honest take? I think all refs in general have a really difficult job. The difference in the Pac-12 is that they they call things to the book way more than anyone else does. And because of that, by comparison, we think that they're worse. I think they're, ju- they're they just interpret things a little more strenuously th- than strenuously. <laughs> 
<laughs> Look at me creating words tonight too. Um, they, they, their interpretation of the rule book is just way more literal than any other conference. And that's why we think that they're the worst in reality. All refs are bad because it's a very hard job. They're not moving at the speed that the game is. Yes, I agree. Uh, if you talk to big 12 fans, they say their refs suck. Talk to SEC fans. They say their refs sucks. ACC, big 10, their refs sucks. NBA, NFL, MLB, MLS, Premier League, ev- literally every sport, everyone's referees and officials suck. F1 officials suck. Um, <laughs> part of that, too, is is just because, like you said, it's a, it's a hard job. I think part of it with the Pac-12 is that the the conference, as you say, lets them call it more stringently. Shout out to Jeff. In the, in the, yes. The, the Jeff from Denmark, by the way. I think it might, might be. be. Yeah. Might be. Uh, but I, I think, Good morning, if, if so. I think the Pac-12 refs sort of get highlighted as extra bad because they are trying to call it more by the book and that thus makes their calls that much more ridiculous because they don't let guys play. And the more you let guys play, the more likely you are to not get on the wrong side of like, oh, you know, this, this ref. There's also a lot of incompetence sometimes with the, with the, the sort of the management of the rules and the referees and all that kind of stuff. Like there's, there are structural issues that are certainly contributing to the Pac-12 refs being among the worst but the Pac-12 refs could be 50% better than they are and they would still suck. Like, that's the reality. Yeah. Uh, DMG for USC says, going forward, will the defense get better as the season progresses? I don't see why we shouldn't believe that when we see that in games they have gotten better as the games have progressed. Look at last week against Oregon State. There were times early on where you're like, oh, they're giving up a lot of yards. Um but really, when the game got tighter and tighter and tighter as the game got on, they got even better and better, and they started making more third down stops as the game went on, too. So they've gotten better in literally every game as the game has gone on. All five of them, they've gotten better in all five. Am I wrong about that? Certainly, as the game has gone on, their second halves have been significantly better than the first halves. Yeah, across the board. in all five, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also, okay, one element is how healthy can they stay because a couple yes. of, of poorly timed injuries here could really, really hurt this defense. So you have to take health and availability into factor. Um, but other than that, I, I and, and also just facing better teams, better quarterbacks, I think Cam Rising could be a problem for this this uh, this team. Um, yeah. DTR, we already talked about. Like, you know, that'll, that'll also have an impact here. But uh, but yeah, the the more time they get under this, the the scheme, the more time they get familiarizing each other with, with each other, all that kind of stuff, you would expect them to get better as the season goes on. As yeah. I was getting to earlier, there are levels to better. <laughs> so when right. we say better, I'm talking marginally better, but this is still, in my opinion, going to be a 25 to 20 point defense. Yeah. And um, that'll be scary sometimes, but and, that's and the reality. You so expect like, to score more than that on offense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dave S. says ASU had over 100 yards rushing in the first half and the second half. They had negative 13. Huge adjustment. Defense definitely got stops. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you look at the uh, at, at the splits, and it is it's wild how much uh, things slowed down for ASU. USC defensively just completely 
uh, flipped a uh, flipped a switch. Um, John says, "What happened to Dedich? He was dealing with injury last week. Uh, it sounds like that injury caught up to him this week, and so he did not play." Yeah, and Dave from Orange County says, "What's the deal with the shaky O line play? We've heard so much about the O line being solid, but without Caleb, we'd be in big, big trouble." Yeah, like like we talked about earlier, this is to me this has come from out of nowhere because. It was a strength for SC last year. Their best unit on offense last year was the offensive line. You can make an argument that the first two games, I don't know. I don't remember the offensive line being an issue in the first two games, but certainly in the last three has been an issue. Um, Is that just because of the injury stuff with, with Ford and Haskins? Maybe Um, tonight it was Ford and Haskins both playing in addition to the injury stuff with Dietrich. I mean, maybe maybe that plays a role either way. Um, they they just, no matter who's in there, they got to find a way to get better. And USC, in terms of play calling, uh, Lincoln Riley needs, I think, needs to find a way to offset those things. If you can't trust your offensive line to protect and pass pro, then throw more screens. Yeah. Um, get your... We, we talk about how Relique Brown can be a weapon in the passing game and, and Travis Dye too. Well, get them in the passing game a little bit more then. Find find some different avenue um, and, you know, run the ball maybe a little bit more. So, um, Pontracam says, what's with our Jekyll and Hyde defense? Yeah, tale of, tale of two halves, right? I, I, uh, I wish I could tell you why the first. I mean, I've already gotten at some of the core reasons why I think the difference between the first half and the second half. I wish I could tell you why that is the case. Like, why is it that USC's defense comes out and doesn't seem like they're ready to go in the first half? I, I don't know. Um, I hope the coaches can figure that out because it would be nice if they put together four quarters. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, DMG for USC is Dave the Greater. Yeah. Hi, Dave. Formerly Utah Dave. Uh, welcome back to... Uh, California, can we call it California Dave? I like California Dave. California Dave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then we got to hit the button for uh, uh, our, our buddy Jake's soundboard. California. California. Yeah. California. We're not in key there. No, I cannot say <laughs> welcome to that reality. Uh, Wizard of Ilium, Austin Jones gave up a sack and then never came back. No blocking, no Rocky, or is he hurt? Uh, you talked about it earlier about the no blocking, no Rocky thing. I, I think that's a big element of that. Yeah, I, I unless we hear something to say that he was hurt, I just have to assume that it was um, he wasn't getting the job done in pass pro. Yeah. And that is always a reason why running backs are benched. Yeah. Uh, best friend of the show, Kenny Martin. ASU is not good. Uh, ASU being Kenny's alma mater, of course. <laughs> Uh, neither is Mizzou yet. The good teams ultimately made the right thing happen and got the wind. Georgia down early, ten nothing to to Mizzou and and fought back and and got the win. Did not expect that. We've talked about how there's a separation at the top uh, in college football with Georgia seemingly being in, in another world, along with Ohio State and Alabama. And Ohio State and Alabama both in dogfights at different parts of their games, but uh, got the win on the road, both of them. See, and that's and I, I wanted to highlight that comment just because that's the reality of college football. Yeah, I think we can all agree that Georgia is a significantly better team from top to bottom than USC, 
And yet they too are struggling with a team like Mizzou, which Mizzou is not significantly better than ASU. Uh, They might be in better position, not having be coachless and all that kind of stuff, but they're, they're not like head and shoulders above, above ASU where ASU is. And yet Mizzou gave Georgia a game. Mizzou really made it difficult for that team to do anything. Sometimes you're going to have those kind of nights and you're not going to be perfect. And you have to look at the uh, sort of evaluate a team on a week by week basis with that understanding, because then you'll then, you know, then things won't be the sky is falling uh, every time that uh, your team doesn't, you know, win 70 to nothing, which would have been great if USC had won 70 to nothing tonight. But (laughs) I can't will that to happen. Not like I ever sort of predicted that no. at some point. No. Uh, no, and and I go back to winning on the road is hard. It, it's hard. Yeah. I think there's a reason why coaches talk about it. There's a reason why Lincoln Riley says that road wins are gold. In the Pac-12 this week, there were six games. The home team won all six. Mm-hmm. Um, winning on the road is difficult, and it's not a surprise that Georgia's issue would be in a game in which was on, on the, the road. road. Yeah. Um, that's why I think when you play uh, ranked teams on the road and you know, there, there was a stat for the longest time that like um, uh, Franklin over at um, Penn James, state, James Franklin, James Franklin was like, he's like two and 10 against ranked teams on the road all time. Yeah. Go look at every college football coach again, ranked against ranked opponents on the road. All of their records are like two and ten. And it doesn't have to be particularly raucous places like, you know, Kinnick, where Iowa is very difficult to beat, or Otson. You know, Washington went on the road to the Rose Bowl, which is not exactly the most difficult venue to play in as far as crowd noise and and all that kind of stuff and hostility. Yeah. But they clearly were not at their best. And partly that was UCLA making them look like that way. Partly it was their first road game of the year. And on short rest. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that'll get, that'll get to you. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ishmael says, uh, what can the special teams do to improve uh, on field position? Okay. I'm going to give, I get, I got an answer for this. It's very simple. I wonder if your, your answer is the same as mine. <sighs> okay. Let's, let's see if we can channel some energy here mm-hmm. and give the Mind same meld. answer. Okay. Yeah. Uh, l- okay. Let's just, let's see if we can s- maybe say, say it, together. it together. Okay. Three, two, one. Don't Fair catch. Get the penalties. Oh, we're different. Oh, I mean, those are two different things then. I mean, yes, fair, I, I, I mean, would agree. You, you but want also to like field position? Fair catch the ball on kickoffs. It's been legal since 2017. Every other team in college football does it. Is it anticlimactic and lame to watch? Yes. Does it get you the ball at the 25-yard line? Yes. Does it prevent a, a chance in which you return the ball to the 12 and then also have a block in the back somehow within those 12 yards and then have to start the ball at the, your drive at the 6? Yes. Yeah. Okay, that yeah, we're on All the same page. All you have to page. do is just go like this with your arms. Yeah. Or even not. If you watch the TCU-Oklahoma game, you don't even apparently need to do this with your arms. There, some refs will assume that you called a, a fair catch. Yeah. I, but uh, but no, just fair catch it. Yeah. USC special teams are... SC's lucky that they're 5-0 and because if they weren't and if there was a special teams coach... And if Lincoln Riley was Clay Houghton, that special teams coach's head would be on a stake. <laughs> because look at how much people loathed uh, John Baxter. And you look back at the 2018 Texas game and how he got fired after that and all this, all the stuff. Like 
And then I look to what they're doing right now. Like, yes, they haven't given up, uh, given up a touchdown yet or anything like that. But it's constantly where like every return is going to the 30 and uh, against them. And every return for them is going to like the 17 at best. It's, it's not great for field position. No, no, no. And then the onside kick. Special team sucks for most people across the country. No, it it does. I agree. And and that's why like I'd rather coach up another position than special teams, yeah. for sure. And when you have an offense that's this good, maybe you just sacrifice those twelve yards per drive because you can have the faith in, in picking it up no matter yes, what. Yes, but, but they're like so kickoff th- coverage. That's all the more is, reason to just fair catch it. That's though. what kickoff coverage is one thing, but yeah, like if you're not gonna put a lot of time and effort in special teams, then just keep it simple stupid like just say okay you will not return this just fair catch every time we're not going to deal with it like i know you want to make an impact guys but also like please don't return this to the 12 yard line or basically if you do not get to the 25 yard line when you take a return when you have a return in your hand if you do not get to the 25 yard line you do not do the kick return next time (laughs) okay mom yeah i'm just saying Lay down the law. Uh, to be fair, I like that name. To be fair, uh, was Cortland Ford playing a bit injured still? He struggled some in the first half. Uh, I, I would reason to guess that he wouldn't be out there if he was still injured, especially given how they they uh, didn't play him last week, even though he was suited up last week. But there are also degrees to injury, so sure, yeah. you can still feel the effects of of whatever is so maybe a lack of confidence you. on that injury. Yeah, that, I think that might be a, a thing too. Uh, maybe some rust because he he had been out for a couple times, so a couple games. So yeah, I don't know. Um, also, left tackle was going to be USC's weakest position on the line, anyways, this year. So uh, I don't know. It's it's. It's so hard to tell. It's so hard to evaluate just because we haven't. That has been the position that has been shuffled the most. That has been the position that has been hit most heavily by injury. Like it's, it's hard to say if, if that's a, they're not healthy or like maybe they're just limited. Yeah. I, I, either way, no matter what, what it is, you need to see improvement uh, next week for the Cougs uh, and certainly the week after as well. When SC goes on the road to uh, Rice Eccles in two weeks. Um, Randy says, question, Arizona State and Fresno um, and Stanford have a combined three wins. Rice and Oregon State haven't had a, and it cuts off. I don't. I, I missed what the other part was. Well, Fresno lost to UConn today. Did they? Yeah. So that's not ideal. Looking it up, Rice is three and two. Uh, Oregon State is three and two with losses to SC and Utah. I don't think there's yeah. any shame in that. No, there's no shame in that. I mean, Oregon State certainly didn't want to lose to Utah the way that they lost to Utah. But when you have four turnovers, uh, four interceptions, like you know, that's just uh, that's what's going to happen. But um, no, I think yeah, the Fresno State loss is is the really bad one. Yeah, uh, I. I, I don't know. It, okay. I, I have I get, too much I faith some... in Jeff Tedford to write Fresno State off. It's yeah. Just... But, but also, like, can I – I feel like you can put a lot of 
sort of emphasis on resumes and all this kind of stuff and sort of figuring out like the like did did the teams that USD play have any meaning or anything like that? Like I already don't think this team is a playoff team. So like for me, I don't really like this team is gonna play whoever's in front of them each week and we're gonna find out how they do against the team that's in front of them each week. So looking back on like whether or not Utah sorry, whether or not Oregon State was as good as we thought they were, or Fresno State was as good as we thought they were, or Stanford or Rice were as bad as we thought they were, or anything like that. Like I think it's an interesting thing to do, but also <laughs> USC won the games. Like that's the thing that I'm that I'm paying attention to. So I just looked this up. Um do you know what team in the SEC has the most losses of any SEC team? This year? Yes. Florida? Mizzou. <laughs> the ones Mizzou. who almost yeah, beat Georgia. The ones who almost beat Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, so I was looking up the, the, the Pac-12 standings, and uh, of course it's a four-way tie of teams who have yet to lose in the conference, SC, UCLA, Oregon, and Utah. And... Um, you talk about like, yeah, this is a flawed SC team, but I think any team beyond the top three are flawed. Um, So that's no indictment, I think, especially in year one. But you add in the thoughts of SC is not going to play Oregon this year. They're not going to play Washington. They don't play UCLA until the end of the season. And so there's a lot that can change between now and then. Uh, they do get Utah. It's on the road in a couple of weeks. This schedule is not nearly as hard as it could be if they did play Oregon and Washington and swap those out for Oregon State and Washington State and uh, flip those. I think that you're making each one of those more difficult than they were. Any year one situation where we talked about at the beginning that this is all about the eye test. Uh, and shouldn't necessarily be about wins and losses because you want SC to show that they've improved in year one. Um, and we don't expect them to be a playoff team in year one anyways. And so it's about the eye test, eye test, eye test. Do you wish that the schedule was different and SC would would play Oregon and Washington this year strictly to be able to s- look at it and see how far that they've come and they can measure up against those teams? No, because I think you measure, you measure up, you either, if you measure up against Utah and UCLA and Washington state and Notre Dame, then like if those aren't enough of a measuring stick, then you go to the PAC 12 title game and then you measure up against whoever is Assuming in that, that you game. Get there. Assuming that you yeah. get there. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and who are we to say is Washington state an easier beat than Washington? It, it, I don't know. Um yeah. you know, it's it's uh it, it's all hard to say. Uh Malcolm in the chat says that he thinks that the the thing that was not finished was that Oregon State, Fresno State and Rice don't have a power five win. Yeah, that that's fair. I, I think Oregon State, even though they don't have a power five win and they're three and two, I like they, it's tough when you're when the power five teams you've played are USC and, and, and Utah. Utah. Yeah. yeah. But this is yeah. also why like resume evaluation is so flawed when you're doing it after four or five weeks mm-hmm. when, you know, we might've thought that, uh, you know, 
the teams got credit for beating Florida and for beating Texas A&M when it turns out that those teams are not any good. Uh, And then, you know, all of that. So the real resume evaluation comes at the end of the season when you actually know, okay, how many games did Oregon State win? How many games did Fresno State win? And people are right to point out that Fresno State is starting a backup quarterback because Jake Hayner's been, Jake Hayner got injured against USD. So like, can you even judge Fresno State as a team when Jake Hayner is not the quarterback that's been playing these last two weeks. Like it's you know, the, the, there's so many factors that go into this. That's but but do we actually know that Florida's not good? They're two and two, and their two well, wins, the two losses were to teams that are ranked in the top ten. Well, and this is and this is where you know Baylor can come out and say Baylor's two losses are to the, BYU on the road and uh, and to Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, State at home. Yeah, like, so like again, they have two losses. But this is why I think that records are overrated. Yes, records are overrated. Um, resumes are are over and underrated like because we don't have all the we don't have all the picture like right the rankings that matter are at the end of the season the evaluations that matter are at the end of the season which is why i'm sort of looking at each game you can only play the game that's in front of you so play the game that's in front of you and look at 2012 2012 usc right you talk about oh they go seven and six and it's an embarrassment and lane kiffin should have got fired and blah 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 Going into November, SC was six and two and very much in contention to to win the Pac twelve South and go finally play Oregon for a Pac twelve championship game. And like, then things fall apart because things fall apart in seasons yes. and things come together in seasons and you know, one season to the next, one team to the next. There's so many variables that happen. Twenty eighteen. The terrible uh five and seven USC season. SC controlled their own destiny until like two weeks left in the season. Yeah, which you know was what I mean? like, kind of the, a reflection of just the Pac-12 being the, what the yes. Pac-12. Sorry, I'm not allowed to say control their own destiny. Yeah, on, on the podcast yeah. anymore. Yeah. All right. Um, more questions. Um, Mike Gillespie um, says, uh, "How are we feeling about Relique Brown? I think he needs to be RB two. Love whenever he's out there. I think he is becoming RB two because he we saw that we saw that with like the it. with the load uh, tonight. I think that he got more significantly more run than than Aaron Jones, uh, Austin, Austin Jones, Jones. Yeah. Aaron Jones, yeah. different running back. Yeah, Austin Jones. The the I I was really encouraged by a couple of really uh runs today. I was also sort of thinking to myself, well, yeah, he, that's that's the freshman trying to sort of string this out to to get the the big chunk play instead of just taking what was there for him um so he's he's still sort of working through that i did i i would like to know why we didn't see more of him later but at the same time it's like it's not like i need to see less of travis die so this game never felt in doubt for sc certainly not in the second half but at the same time i don't think it the lead was so sizable because of that because of the interception and then because of the ASU drive that they had with the penalties and all that stuff, I could see why you, you kept died in there more. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I get it. Um, Lisa, you got a question. You want to read it to you? I got a question. It was for you. Hold on. Oh, Alicia question from. Thi- yeah, exactly. I, I can't pronounce Thi- it. I'm letting, letting you do Thi- it. Thylacine? Thylacine. Thylacine. Sure. Thylacine. Um, you said you wanted to see USC not rely on turnovers and just get stops on defense. Any thoughts about what you saw tonight? Yeah. In the second half, I thought that uh, the response from the defense, uh, well in the second half and also, you know, particularly after that Caleb Williams 
interception. I really liked what I saw in the first half. It's a totally different story because what happened in the first half is exactly why people have some anxiety about this defense, because if they're not getting those turnovers, they're giving up those points. And they did get the one field goal stop, which was, I thought, I thought ultimately a good outcome for that drive. But the, the ease with which they gave up the touchdowns to allow the first half to become this sort of uh, back and forth that it was, that's where you where you are vulnerable. So I definitely need to see more of that in the first half. To their credit, in the second half, they definitely get those stops even when they're not generating the turnovers. They got the turnover for this game in the end, but it, it's almost like the the sort of just like ticking a box fluke, like it didn't actually, it wasn't part of the main chunk of the game that where the game was won and lost. And the defense was able to get that job done ultimately in the segment of the game where it was won and lost. I'm looking at the stats because I, I thought for sure that I was going to bring up the third down conversions. ASU was 50% on third downs in the fourth quarter, four of eight. Does, I don't remember that. Don't feel like that was what I watched. Um, well, they, they but had remember the first downs in the fourth quarter. Well, one it wasn't one of those drives. The one where they got with, with all the penalties. Yeah, all the penalties. And I think that's, and that, that's a big. That's a I big think most chunk of those there. came on third downs. So. Yeah, I I know. It's just yeah. I don't know. But then again, SC only had two penalties in the fourth. I don't know. It's weird. I I thought. Um, and then one of it was. The that last drive with the Kalimbulik interception, yeah, the last was sort of garbage timing, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but either way, I I to go to go back to the question, I think that that that's a great point. I wanted to see what too what the defense would be like, not having to rely on turnovers. I think the answer was when they needed to get stops, they got stops that way, as just getting off the field. Um, and I'll I'll take that certainly, yeah. Uh, Remember, Murdy says if I'm an O with, with what you've seen uh, might happen, are your, where are your win totals now? Still at nine or 10 wins? Yeah, I'm sticking with 10 and two. I think there are two two losses down the line. I think Utah and something else. Uh, there could even be three losses down the line if if things, you know, if the, if the defense has that off game where the offense isn't able to, to counterbalance. I think that could come against UCLA, could come against Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame has a has a pretty decent defense. So the even though their offense is is not particularly great, USC's defense could have a bad day, and that defense on the other side could could limit USC's offense just enough. Um, Washington State certainly a team that we could look at it, and we'll know when we more when we do the preview. But could certainly be a game where USC trips. I think USC can legitimately lose to Utah and then trip at least one more time. And potentially even two times, and that wouldn't be all all that surprising, given everything that we primed the season for. Given first season flawed team, limited limited depth, all that kind of stuff. So I'm sticking with ten and two. I feel comfortable with ten and two, and that's that's not going to change at this point. Yeah, I, I said nine and three early on, but my two of my three losses were. Stanford and Oregon State. I thought SC would get better as the year has gone on. Um, and I still think that that should bear out that SC gets better as, as we've gone on. I think of the five games, the last two have kind of been the one where I think you can kind of point to some frustrations, albeit I think a lot of that is the Oregon State game being so close and SC having to pull it out in the miraculous way that they did. 
Um, and in this game, like I said, that penalty drive doesn't happen. Caleb Williams doesn't throw the interception. Suddenly it's 49 to 17 and you're in this game and everyone's voting love it in the poll instead of meh. Um, and those are the same plays basically playing out at that time too. But you can't, you can't change things like that. The, the, the game plays out the way it does for a reason. And SC made changes in this game and got better as the game went on defensively. You hope that you can continue to do that going forward. And if you're going to, if Grinch is going to be a great adjustments guy or a great game plan guy, you hope it's the one that wins. And right now adjustments are the ones that are winning games. Um, and you want to continue to see that for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a question from SJ and I think this is going to be our last question before we wrap this thing up uh, since it's off topic, unless people want to also file in some off topic questions here at the end. Uh, if you do place other pieces of lasagna side by side and they are touching, you can kind of see if they maybe uh, make one piece. Why not if they are stacked? I reluctantly see Michael's point. No, because if I take two pieces of lasagna and put them side to side, there is a cut between those two pieces of lasagna, thus making them two pieces of lasagna. We're referring still to two pieces <laughs> of lasagna that are stuck together. It's pretty clear when, when a, like when a lasagna has been cut, you know it has been cut. Like there's a there's a line there. So yes, two lasagnas that are put next to each other are two lasagnas, just like two lasagnas that are stacked on top of each other are two lasagnas. It's just that's just the fact of the matter. All I read from that is I see Michael's point. That's all I read. That's all I read. Nope. Everyone, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, like everybody in the chat right now is going, yes, Michael is right. That, they, is, that is absolutely that's exactly not what's what, going on. Oh, my God. Chat. There's like 18 messages right that's, now. Michael is right not, about lasagna. That's not and if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, also leave us a review uh, to help grow the show. Uh, and then go over well, to Let YouTube us know and- in your review how you feel about the great <laughs> lasagna debate of 2022. Yeah. Um, which is funny because we have had a lasagna in the freezer. Since we this, were we were going to cook it the other night, the we night that we yeah. had the first lasagna debate, we were going to cook the lasagna. The thing about lasagna, frozen lasagna, is it just takes a long time to cook. So, like, we talk about how we're going to have lasagna, and then we we like get I'm wait, to. I'm waiting for someone to be like frozen lasagna. You don't just make lasagna. Stouffer's lasagna is perfectly fine. Like, it's perfectly acceptable. But it, like, if you don't think to yourself, oh, it's like four thirty or five, I need to put the lasagna in to heat up then you've already lost your window to say we're going to have lasagna for dinner tonight. So that's our, our issue is that like, we're not proactive enough. So one of these days we're going to cook the lasagna and then I'm going to take a picture of the two lasagna stacked <laughs> on top of each other and, uh, and to prove that we did it, but um, not yet. Yeah. All right. Um, thank you everyone for joining us here on this carcaster for USC's 42, 25 win over ASU. Uh, Jeff from uh, Copenhagen says, I know Michael is totally looking forward to Thanksgiving food. No, I'm not because Thanksgiving is garbage. Also, where we're going to Thanksgiving this year, there will not be turkey served. So that makes me happy. It's going to be prime rib. Wait, I didn't know that that was part of the deal. Yeah, it's going to be prime rib. Well, I love prime rib, so that's fine. Prime rib or brisket, maybe. I will have to have my turkey fix from elsewhere then. You can go to like... yeah. Kyle know. Kyle in the chat says anyone who hates Halloween can never be right. That's correct, Kyle. Halloween correct. sucks. It's a, as the Gen Zs would say, it's mid. <laughs> JY in the chat says Costco Kirkland signature Italian sausage lasagna is underrated. Number one, 
JY. I love that you gave the entire name <laughs> of the of the Costco Kirkland signature Italian sausage lasagna. <laughs> a plus, A plus mess. Number two, I have never had it. Maybe that's what we need to go. We need to go to Costco and pick up their lasagna. Do they have one without Italian sausage? The now? the Costco Kirkland signature Italian sausage lasagna. Well, we can go find out if they have Costco Costco Kirkland signature four cheese lasagna or something like that. This show is not brought to you by Costco Kirkland signature, <laughs> by the way. Costco Kirkland signature does sound funny. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I just I I loved it. I loved it. So. <laughs> I, I love the Costco Kirkland signature mac and cheese. It's good too. Yeah. Yeah. Big, big fan. I'm a big fan of the Costco Kirkland signature roasted chickens. So. Yeah. Did you see that TikTok this, this week? The one the- where the guy is watching them take. The- <laughs> yes. Yes. I did see that. TikTok. Uh, it's it's amazing. Uh, Dave, the greater says their first Thanksgiving is a married couple. Oh, yeah. Uh, JW says they have a beef version as well. Would you would you eat the Costco Kirkland signature beef lasagna? I I could I could do it because you think t- tonight I I learned the difference between um between gravy and sauce in the Italian sense. Yeah, gravy includes meat. I'm like that makes sense. Yeah, the gravy is a meat sauce, and the sauce is just like the marinara sauce. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense to me. Next week, we'll have a review of Costco Kirkland Signature uh, beef lasagna <laughs> for all of you. All right. I'm looking at the, the live watchers, and it's going down. So yeah, we, we've lost. <laughs> hey, I was impressed that we were above 200 at 1230 p.m. AM Pacific time. Yes. Shout outs to all. We did lose some folks <laughs> early. Shout outs if you guys come back. I, I know I saw Graham in, Graham in here. Uh Big, big and congrats, man, by the way, to to Graham. He's uh, he's going to the NHL, work as a NHL job. Oh yeah, that's with legit. The, with the caps, legit, yeah. legit. Congratulations. Um, I don't know if I saw Judy Madden in here or not, but uh, but I know that uh, she's also a loyal uh, a loyal uh, listener and watcher on the East Coast or the Eastern Time Zone. So shout out to all of our of our East Coast Time Zone people who started the episode and then fell asleep and then are now re listening to it on Sunday or Monday or whenever you do shout out to you. Uh, we appreciate you shout out to all of the other time zone people who are still here at 1230 mm-hmm. AM Pacific. There, there's one more shout out that we could do from one of our great friends of the pod, a uh, former co-host, by the way, um, who had a big deal over the weekend, but I don't know if are we publicly allowed to say anything. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, uh, has there been a social media I, I don't announcement? Know. If I there's don't know. if there's no social media mm-hmm. announcement, then we don't get to say. It. I don't know, uh, but you should probably go to uh, look up Trinice Ferreira. On, yeah, uh, go check on, on Twitter and just check Trinice's Twitter or uh, send her a happy or, face. or Instagram or something. Yeah, we'll see if if you know what we're talking about. All right. Uh, Dave the Greater says, love you guys. See ya. Uh, We love you as well. And we will see you guys next time. Uh, And as always, be sure to subscribe uh, and join us Monday night when we look back at the ASU game. I opened up the mailbag and so much more. We couldn't do this thing without you. We've now eclipsed the 1,000 subscribers mark on YouTube. Uh, Seriously, it is is awesome. 99,000 more until we get our play button. That's just my life goal. So that's all we got to do. 99,000 more. 
So hey, we we hit that threshold way faster than I expected when we started this YouTube journey uh, the end of the summer. So shout out to all of our subscribers on YouTube and all of our podcast listeners and everyone who is listening to us through other means. Yeah. We love you all. Yeah. All right. It's 1230. We got to get some rest before the uh, Singapore Grand Prix, the F1 night race. Yes. Even though it's going to be 5 a.m. for us. All right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Until then, see ya. See ya. See ya. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.